Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and this is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 168. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley. You're with us on the Made It in Music podcast, and we've got a good one today. We've got my friend Victoria Shaw, who I'm going to get to her intro in just a second. Um, But before we jump into that, I just want to make a quick announcement. Full Circle Music is looking for interns. Internships are one of the best ways to start out in the music industry. You get to be in an environment where you can learn from those around you by soaking up what they're doing day to day. Uh, And so if you want to be a part of an award-winning team where you're working on high-level projects, we'd love to have you apply. Head on over to fullcirclemusic.com slash intern to submit your application. My guest today is none other than the Victoria Shaw. If you've listened to music at all during the past 20 years, which chances you probably have, chances are you have heard her talent and her songwriting. Victoria's number one compositions include Garth Brooks' The River and She's Every Woman, Doug Stone's Too Busy Being in Love, Ricky Martin and Christina Aguilera's duet, Nobody Wants to Be Lonely, the Garth Brooks' Trisha Yearwood duet, Where Your Road Leads, and many more. And she was also a big part of the latest Garth Brooks Netflix documentary that just came out. I know. I watched it. Loved it. Highly recommend it. That's called The Road I'm On on Netflix. Tori is also the recipient of an ACM Award for Song of the Year, two Daytime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Original Song, four Emmy nominations, and numerous ASCAP and CSAC awards. She's also a huge supporter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and has donated both royalties, her time, and talent to the organization. In addition to writing and performing, Shaw is also a music producer, including co-producing Lady Antebellum's debut album, for which Shaw won a 2009 CMA Award for Single of the Year, I Run to You. And Victoria is currently in the studio producing and writing up, with, writing with up-and-coming rising star artist Cooper Allen. I can speak to that. We'll talk about that in the interview. He is amazing. And she also has her own show on PBS, which is called Songwriters Under the Covers with Victoria Shaw. I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Victoria, thanks so much for being here. Oh my God, I'm so impressed with me. <laughs> I'm so impressed with you. Oh my God. It sounds so much more impressive when you say that. <laughs> you just need, you just need me to follow you around and introduce you everywhere. I just need you to tell my kids that their mom is cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can just copy paste that and put it in like one of those little buttons. You can just press oh. that. <laughs> you know, the other day I was actually driving in the car with my daughter, Ava. She's 19 and the river came on and she said to me, I don't think I've ever heard the record version. I go, what? She goes, I think I've only heard him sing it live and you sing it live. She goes, I'm not sure I've ever heard this version. I was like, I'm really way too much of a mom. See, wow. I put it outside the door when I come in at night. <laughs> you can't be, yeah, exactly. You can't be too cool in your own house. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Hey, well, let's, let's jump all the way into this. How did you get started on your journey into music? Music was the only thing I wanted to do. Like, the only thing from day one, I don't remember ever having, I think it was a week I wanted to be an astronomer, but other than that, um, music was in my house. I came from a very musical family and nobody pushed it on me. It was just, that's what we, you know, we had in the house. We weren't like a sports family. We were a music family. And, um, 
I just, from an early age, started to write songs. And even though that was more like a hobby, I really sang. That was my, that was my love. And um, had my first band when I was 12 and just started from there. That's awesome. So when you first got interested, like in working in the music industry, like what was your first kind of inroad there? Um, well, you know, it's funny that I heard you asking for um, interns because I was born in New York and raised in Los Angeles, which makes sense that I'm in country music or whatever. But uh, I moved back to New York when I was 18 and I just sent out letters to every recording studio that I could find saying, hey, I'm new in town, but I, I can answer phones. I can sweep. I can make tape copies. I can sing background. I just want in and I'll work for free. Because free is very enticing to people, you know? Everybody likes free. And my whole thing was if they just let me in the door, I will make myself invaluable and they'll ask me to stay and, and then hopefully I can start making you know, some money, you know, paid by the hour. And that's exactly what happened um, when I got to New York. I, I got this job um, at a recording studio um, and I learned so much from being there. At first it was for free. And then I said, I, I can't really afford to do this anymore. And they were like, wait, 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 we'll pay you, you know, whatever it was, $10 an hour. Okay. <laughs> and then from there, it got me, um, the owner of the studio also hosted a uh, open mic night at a, at a club, a bar, and they needed a piano player because their piano player didn't show up that night. And I ended up accompanying everybody. And that got me gigs as a piano bar player. It was just like one thing after another. If that's, you know, if you wanted me to go way back, that's the answer to that question. Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. You, you, you've worn many hats in the industry, again, whether it's songwriter or TV show director or producer or, uh, you know, talent scout, I guess you would call it. What was the first thing that you started doing? Like on a, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in this on a, on a professional level. Was it with songwriting? Um, first of all, I think if you can make a living with, with your music, you are professional. So as soon as I started to pay all my rent playing in the bars, I was professional. That's well, well um, said. Very well know, said. It's true. If some yeah. people never make it onto a record deal, but they make their living as a musician, they are professionals. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to be a singer and get my record, rec get a record deal. That was my goal. That was my dream. And the, and the songwriting was kind of secondary, just something I did when I had bands back in California and I, you know, wrote songs with my sister. It interested me, but nothing like passion, passion. Um, and somehow I, I fell in love with country music in New York, which is funny, but I started to write a song and it came out country. And I started to come down to Nashville trying to get a record deal but somebody had told me to go to the Bluebird Cafe and check out a, an in the round. It was kind of new at the time. And I went to the Bluebird Cafe and I saw this in the round with hit songwriters playing their hit songs. And it was like a religious experience where I thought, okay, I'm going to buckle down and really concentrate on the songwriting. And I'm going to write hit songs for other people. And I'm going to get noticed and I'm going to get my record deal. It was kind of naive, but it ended up being a very good idea. You know, I mean, thank God I didn't want to be a dancer because that was not, I couldn't dance. <laughs> I could write and I had a sense of it. And I just started to really take writing seriously, thinking that would be my in to get a record deal, which eventually happened. But funny enough, the, the songwriting ended up being the love of my life and also the thing that was always consistently successful after a while. So how did you kind of go about finding your, you know, I, I know finding your lane, that's like the biggest thing that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, it's, it's not that certain writers 
who can never find traction. It's not because oftentimes they're bad riders. It's just because they're in the wrong lane. Um, how did you know for you it was country? Yeah, that was just so wild. I mean, I, as I said, I, I wrote this song one night coming home from a piano bar gig in New York. And I had to go. I was still living with my aunt when I first moved there in Long Island. So I had to be from Manhattan to Long Island. And I just finished this late night bar gig. And I wrote these words on the train. I'm in a smoke-filled car on the LIRR, which is the Long Island Railroad. And home seems so far away. I wrote this whole lyric. And when I got back to my aunt's house, the only... They, she didn't have a piano. And the only thing I had to write the music on was those little old Casio. I'm holding my hands at like, like a, uh, yeah. you know, six inches wide. And you could only play one note at a time. Dun, 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 dun. And it turned out to be like a country melody. And I wrote this country song. And my father, who was kind of an inventor and always kind of a, let's try it. When I played it for him at one point, he said, um, why don't you fly out here? And I'm going to find musicians and we'll make a demo. So we made a demo of this song that I wrote, or a record at the time, a little 45. And I went back to New York and I called up the local radio station, who I didn't realize was the biggest radio station in the country. And it was my local radio station. And I said, hey, I wrote this song and I heard you were a nice man. And would you listen to my song? And the guy said, uh, well, I'll listen to it, but we won't play it on the, ra- on the radio. And I brought it in and they, he asked me to leave it with him. And a couple of days later, they called me and said, we just tried your song on the radio. It's because I mentioned New York and it became like this local hit on this huge station. So wow. honestly, that was all of a sudden where I started to really look at country and think, I'm really enjoying this. Like I, I listened to country radio and I realized that I knew a lot of these songs because back in the early 80s, it was kind of a crossover. Everybody listened to Dolly and Kenny Rogers and all those people like that. So I, I was actually more familiar with country than I thought. And I just fell in love with the actual art of writing and all their great lyrics and all their great melodies. Mm. So what was the journey from, okay, you decided this is what you want to do. And then, you know, years later you end up on a Garth, a Garth Brooks record and then another one and then another one. How, how did you kind of find your way into that opportunity? First of all, you know, it was an eight-year overnight success, okay? I started to drive back and forth between New York and Nashville for eight years because I didn't want to give up my good, you know, good-paying gigs, and I also really wanted to pursue a record deal in country music. Now, I think I probably would have moved along faster had I just committed to Nashville, but I didn't, and that was the way my story went. But I would drive back and forth and back and forth for eight years. And I, when you start to network in Nashville, as you know, and you just go out every night and you listen to music and you're young and you, you know, you have the energy to go out, out, out. And you, and you sit next to somebody who happens to be a musician or somebody who's new in town. You find your quote unquote class, like my class of 89, my buddies that I became friends with was Garth Brooks. He had no record deal. Uh, Faith Hill. She was the, you know, secretary at the publishing house that I, you know, got a, you know, finally got a publishing deal at uh, Marcus Hummond. He had just come to town. All these soon to be very, very successful people were just my class. You know, if everybody, I, I of course tried to, to get writing sessions with like famous people and they didn't write with me because they didn't have time. And I understand that now. So if you're always looking too far ahead, you got to look around you and see your class of up and comers because talent attracts talent. And I think that we all just, you know, kind of gravitated toward, towards each other. Um, yeah. So that's su- that. that's such a good point because I think so many people want to skip ahead in you know ten chapters in their journey, but they don't realize who's right around them. Hey, just because you know 
whoever around you doesn't have a record deal or have a publishing deal doesn't mean they're not going to be the next person in line. So, which is why I still, you know, look for new and challenging young artists to write with. And on the other hand, I also weekly or daily get emails asking, hi, you know, I wrote a song and I would really love to collaborate with you, you know, just from random people. Obviously I, I'm not interested. I'm, I mean, I, I've got work to do and I, I can't be just writing with anybody just because they ask, you know, um, and that's a hard one. But I used to be on their side of the, of the, didn't have email back then, but I used to be on their side of the request and I didn't break when they said no, or I didn't hear back. And these people, if it's meant to be, they won't break. You know, it's just, there's only so many hours in the day. And for the most part, I have to try to write with the people now who I know kind of uh, that I'll come out of the room with something solid and hopefully uh, commercial. Yeah. Well, it's an investment of your time and that's, that's all of us. That's the thing that we we have a finite amount of. We all get the same 24 hours in a day. And, you know, I think it's the same thing. You know, you get how many DMS a week, it's not hard for some new up and coming songwriter to send a, a direct message to, no, a yeah. hundred A-list songwriters, and I think a lot of them get discouraged when they they don't get you know a response. And oh, see what I would say there is the people that get discouraged really probably weren't going to make it anyway. And I'm not saying that meanly. I'm just saying people like you, people like myself. This was like I either do this or I don't breathe anymore. Like there was never even, and it might be crazy, but it is crazy to be in this business. It's like it's the it's the most crazy. Uh, chance-taking, odds-against-you thing to do, and yet there's nothing in us that thought we could stop pursuing this. It's this or die. And I think you have to have that. Even if you never achieve it, you have to have that that mentality because when people walk up to me at the Bluebird or whatever and go, you know, I've been here three years, and I'm thinking I'm going to give it one more year. I'm either going to do this or I'm going to go back to nursing school. I'm going to go back to college. And I always say, if you have an either or, do your or, because people yeah. like us, we never had one of them. It's like, I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to breathe anymore. <laughs> yeah, there is no plan B. That's, no plan B. That's entire, that's so true. So, so well said. Um, so obviously, yeah, we kind of skipped over a little bit, but, but incredible run, obviously with, you know, the Garth Brooks and Faith Hill and all those uh, things. And then that led into you, you know, in, in 2009, becoming a producer, um, with Lady Annabellum. Was that, can you tell us about that story and how that sort of came together? Sure. And I didn't mean to skip over your, your first, your question before. So I'll just give a brief answer on that one. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's just that Garth and I met in 88 or something like that. 87, 88. I don't remember. By 89, we wrote The River. Um, and we wrote some other songs too along the way. His, his debut album came out, um, I don't know, the 91 or 90, whatever. He said the river was going to be on his second album. Didn't happen. And it turned out to be on his third album. And then the rest is history. It became such a huge hit. And then she's every woman. But I mean, like I said, that started out with me being friends with a guy who I just thought was talented. And then all of a sudden he exploded and became monstrously big. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet that was um, when I, it took me eight years to get a publishing deal. And finally, when I got a publishing deal, the following year, I wrote three number ones in one year. It was mm-hmm. crazy. It was like from zero to 60, even though it was not an overnight success. So 
you just have to stick with it because had I dropped out at three years, none of this would have happened, you know? Well, that's the side of it that, you know, you, you read the press releases and you see the bios and everybody on the outside assumes, hey, she's had three number ones. She, she's like an overnight sensation, but it's yeah. really never, it's never overnight. I, don't, I can't tell you a single story. I mean, maybe you can, but. And I was still playing in the bars when the river was on the radio because you don't get paid for a good nine months later. So I, I kept my piano bar gig. Nobody believed me that, you know, when I say, here's a song I wrote for, you know, yeah, yeah. Because I was still playing in the bars. Um, but you don't get paid that quickly. And also like if you add up, you know, retroactive for eight years of trying, it's not as much money as you think. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're still, that's what, that's what I tell people a lot is, you know, the, the, the checks can look big, but when you divide it over how many decades most of us put into this. Also you've got, you have high times and you have dry times. And so everything kind of balances out. People think you write one hit song, you're a millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, exactly and to answer your second question in the late 90s all of a sudden stuff started to change where I wasn't getting as many songs recorded and I really felt like I was writing just as well as I ever was and what I saw was happening was a lot of all of a sudden used to be the best song one and whatever publisher pitched the song they got it recorded and then all of a sudden you started to look at album credits and you realize, oh, the producer was the publisher on this song and this song and this song. So they had a special interest to get these songs to the artist. Not saying they were bad songs. I'm just saying that they ended up owning parts of it. So that was really cutting into an average songwriter like myself getting cuts. So at that point, you know, you either, as my daughter always says, pivot <laughs> or you basically leave the business, you know. So I wasn't going to leave. I just thought, okay. My, my theory is, you know, if they don't let me play in their reindeer games, I'm going to find my own reindeer and I'm going to produce and I'm going to have to, you know, be a publisher and a producer. I always thought I'd find a guy because I had most, mostly success writing for men. Mm. But uh, Linda Davis, who is Hillary Scott's mom, was a friend of mine and they were doing a family Christmas show at Opryland and they had invited me. Mm. And I came to see them and I hadn't seen her kids in a long time, but all of a sudden Hillary came out to sing. She was 15, 16. I don't remember. Very, very new, very raw, a little pitchy, but had this, that star quality just had something to her. And I went up to her and I said, you know, I'd love to work with you. I'm not even quite sure what I mean by that, but I'd love to work with you and let's figure it out. And we just started to, you know, she would come to me after school and I made sure she didn't drop out of any anything she was involved in in high school because I'm a mom first and that's important. But we worked around it, you know. And then eventually she met Charles and Dave and they started to hang out at the office and we all just started to write. And um, it was about a five-year pro- process. And after about five years when they started to play every week here at Third and Lindsley and really start a, a buzz, I called every professional that I knew, every head of every label, and they came to see them. And by the next day, they had five record deals on the table. Wow. So again, overnight, seems like this band happened. But like you just said, that was a five-year journey from... It was five years yeah. for Hillary and three years for the boys. Um, and everybody had... I had the patience of Joe. A lot of my friends who start to develop acts, they get impatient or they just give up or they lose their faith in them after a year, year and a half. And me, it was just, oh, no, no, we'll get here, you know. In my head, for some reason, I thought it was going to take five years because I heard publishing deal, publishing companies take five years to grow. And I don't know why I thought, okay, so then this will probably take five years. And it did, almost to the month, funny enough. Wow. Yeah. 
So you, you kind of, but the good, that, that's smart though. You, it sounds like you went in with a, a pretty realistic expectation. I don't lose faith that easy. You know, if I believe in something, nobody can talk me out of liking a song or liking an artist. I, you just can't, I'll, you know, I, if I believe in it, I believe in it. And I, you know, just go until it tells me not to go anymore. Yeah. Where does that come from for you? My parents were inventors or my dad, especially a doer, not a talker mm-hmm. and would make things happen out of nothing. My parents, uh, my dad, you know, they both started in show business, but kind of got out when I was very, very little. And then my dad was constantly trying to find what was his thing. I mean, I can't even tell you how many jobs my dad tried and how many things. And then finally, um, my parents, my mom, who uh, decided she never wanted to diet again and to just be the size she is, she went to go shopping for clothes in her new size and came home really, uh, you know, upset. And she said, there's nothing fashionable for large size women. And my dad said, he was always kind of inventing things. He goes, okay, so what's needed? She goes, a fashion magazine for large size women. He said, let's figure it out. They didn't know the first thing about fashion or about magazines. And by the end, they started this magazine, which had a circulation of, I don't know, half a million. And she had a line of clothes with JC Penney. I mean, it went from, I really watched them go for their dreams and never to be afraid of it, you know? Wow. I had no idea of that. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Although I do really laugh at them. I always say, why did they make their money when I left the house? Right. <laughs> Modestly, but they really did make a good, you know, they really exploded um, afterwards. And the magazine was called BBW, Big Beautiful Women. But now BBW is like part of urban slang. And if you look it up, you'll see that my mom is actually credited with that. Really? Yeah. BBW. That's... BBW, Big Beautiful Woman. Hey, I, I love that. I'm, I'm all for that. I, I think, you know, I've got, I've got two, two daughters, so we're always trying to Just, encourage pos- positive body absolutely. image. And all absolutely. That. So that's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so today, what part of the music industry are you most focused on? Um, again, you know, it's, it's, about pivoting and diversifying that's what i find has been my my best strength is just being able to look at what's needed what lane isn't in you know what's not in this lane possibly what's so for me the the most important thing i right now i'm concentrating on is breaking a new artist named cooper allen who you're very familiar with yeah. i met him in the way that never happens which is a friend of mine called me a few years ago and said, my son goes to school with this guy, you know, college with this guy and he has a band and I think he's really talented. And would you talk to him? And I get requests like that from friends all the time as you do too. And it never pans out, but I said, sure, of course. And I met him and again, he was kind of raw too, but he had this thing and I really, really was drawn to his talent and him great, great vibe. And I just said, look, when you're finished with college, you know, keep in touch with me. And if you're done and you want to move to Nashville, let me know and let's get together. And he did exactly that. And mm. I've been working with him ever since. And so have you, which has been just one of the most fantastic three-way collaborations as far as songwriting and producing goes. Yeah, I've, I've had a blast. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll brag for, for Cooper Allen all day long. And yeah. I just think it's awesome seeing what's, what's happened with him, happening with him and his music. So. And again, you know, we picked the lane, uh, you know, during a pandemic when everybody's home trying to figure out what the hell to do. He just, for somebody who had to keep kicking to get involved in social media, all of a sudden really da- do- dove into TikTok because he had the time. 
and then just exploded on it. You know, he's just exploded. The people have just rallied around him, as you know. You know, he's over probably three million streams in in two weeks um, on this new single, New Normal. And it's been very exciting, you know. Again, a lane that's not as used. I love that. Right, right, exactly. And yeah, just I think you know, there's something to the, the voice of like, if, you know, I, the thing that he brings to country music nowadays is he's got that classic, deep, real masculine voice that you just don't hear a lot of. Now. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And I love the fact too, that he was raised on country music. And then his father was a huge nineties, uh, you know, nineties rock really. And we, we've kind of fused a lot of that as you know, you know, into yeah. cause no matter what he sings, he's going to sound country. So we're, a lot of people, you know, right now are using the urban influence on their songs. He's using more like Weezer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's amazing, um, and yeah, definitely. We'll we'll make sure that he's his, all of his music is linked in. But the, I hope people follow him because he's he deserves yeah. it, and he's so talented. He's he's so talented. So yeah, well, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you know, not to timestamp this too much, but we're, you know, at the time of recording this, it's September 17th. What is going to happen with TikTok? I don't know. I would, I'm really hoping they're going to make that sale. And again, he's, that's why we're happy to have capitalized on it right now. And I hope those people follow him to back to Instagram or to whatever the next thing is. I, I, I really hope TikTok gets to stay for a while. And then of course, you know, it's going to do its thing in the next you know, whatever the next thing's going to be. But uh, I, I hope they just make that sale because I think it's silly to. Yeah. It's a massive, such a massive thing. It is. And I really like it. You know, at first I just thought it was chaos, like, you know, just chaos. But once you kind of find your lane in TikTok with him, he's found his country music fans and also just college people or people that just see him and go, Oh, he's like one of us. He's like a friend, you know? Yeah. I personally love all the TikTok recipes. I like, I'm, in, I'm addicted to them. So I'm really hoping that TikTok doesn't go away. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Well, why don't you share a little bit about, I, I, I know just from being involved in it with you, but what, what is the development process looks like in, you know, 2020 you've, you've been working with him for, for how long has it been now? Two years. So two years. So what, what is the artist development process look like nowadays and how, how are you navigating it? How is it maybe different than, you know, your, your journey with Lady Antebellum? Well, I mean, obviously the whole digital world is completely different and, um, and, and where we needed a record deal with Lady A, cause that's the route you go. I don't know what's going to happen with Cooper. I keep telling him we're in, you know, we want to make the right, the right decisions. We're partners and the beauty, I mean, you know, the, the bummer about digital is that we're, you know, we're definitely not getting paid as songwriters as much as we should. The fabulous thing about digital is that we can just go to a TuneCore or CD Baby or any of these, you know, things that help push all of this music out to the universe, to every place that the majors can put, we can too. Terrestrial radio is a different story, but as far as all the other places online, it's really nice that it's given it back to the artist in their capable hands. So um, it looks different, obviously, in, in 2020 developing. I think the actual development isn't that different. All about songwriting for me, all about vocal, you know, you know, vocals to me, all about studio know-how and just getting comfortable in there. All those things I don't think will ever change because art is art is art. 
But as far as the marketing goes, yeah, I mean, it's been a real different thing having this, you know, 400 and whatever, 50,000 followers on TikTok for him, 3 million, almost 4 million likes. That's been a wonderful, powerful tool. And we are definitely, obviously, starting to field calls from different uh, labels and publishers and stuff. It's been interesting. And, and what's nice is I just want to move steady and slow and make the right decision, the right one that feels right, you know? Yeah, well, it's got to be, you know, again, this, this is the common misconception that when, when you sign a record deal, it's off to the races. I mean, that's just one more step in the process. And a lot of times when you sign a record deal, you put it on a shelf for two years while everybody in queue gets to go up this way. And, you know, as far as like something like what's happening with Cooper Allen, we don't want to lose momentum. So if we did partner with a record label, they would have to, you know, reassign that, that line and make sure that we stayed current. So a lot of that stuff will be answered when it's answered. I, we just kind of been going with our gut, which is kind of how I've done everything. Everybody has a different path and a different lane. So we'll see what happens with him. But I have no doubt that at the end of the journey, Cooper Allen is a major star. Yeah. Yeah. One, one way or the other. It's, it's, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Having to get with the right person who is committed to keeping the momentum going, just like, you know, you've already been doing. Right so. now it's got to be passion over commerce. You know, you can throw a lot of money at an art, a young artist and say, we want to sign you. But if you're going to throw that money at them and make them sit for two years, you've got to really make the wise choice. Is it worth it? You know, you're going to go for commerce first, first or you're going to go for a career, you know? So mm. that's kind of how it's, it, I think it's important sometimes. you got to separate the two. Yeah, that's well said. Um, tell us about songwriters under the covers. What, what is that? songwriters under the covers um basically you know a songwriting round which is and for me i've been doing these shows for 20 some odd years but actually 15 years in new york at a particular club called birdland where i would invite two other hit songwriter friends and we would do basically what happens at any writer's night here at the bluebird cafe or douglas corner you know where you go round and round you take turns it's kind of like a living room party you know where people take turns playing their songs it just so happens that they are hit songs that people have grown up to or, you know, heard on the radio a million times. And you tell the stories behind it. And with me, I only invite my friends who are really fun and funny and talented. So there's a lot of laughs, a lot of ad-libbing, a lot of people singing it. And I've been doing this show for years. And for years, certain people in the industry might come by and say, that should be a TV show. That should be a TV show. And it never, ever, ever panned out. So I just let that go. And then about two years ago, um, uh, I met this guy who's a director, producer of, you know, different uh, live music uh, television things. He saw my show and he, <laughs> he took me to breakfast and he said, I, I really think that what you do could be a TV show. And I said to him after so many years of this, I said, don't worry about it. It's actually really too hard to sell. I appreciate you saying that. That's very sweet. <laughs> what are we going to order? And he looked at me and he said, are you kidding? I said, no, I'm telling you, this is just too hard of a concept to sell. And he said, but you've never had me pitch a show. I said, okay, we'll pitch away, but please don't feel bad when it doesn't happen. And 40 days later, we got a green light from All Arts, which is a PBS, uh, a part of PBS stations. Um, and we shot our first season last year and all seven episodes came out. And uh, here in Nashville, especially PBS plays it like every 30 seconds. I mean, it seems to be constantly in rotation, which is lovely. Um, anybody can see it on the All Arts app on Roku or Apple TV or coming to their PBS local station in 2021. 
Uh, um, although if you're in New York and Nashville, it's on PBS now too. Uh, and it's basically the exact same show that I've been doing forever, uh, just done to, to cameras. And we don't, you know, play it up to cameras. We just make it feel real. Uh, last, the first season, I had wonderful writers like Desmond Child, who wrote Living on a Prayer for Bon Jovi. He's written Living La Vida Loca, Dude Looks Like a Lady. I had Jeffrey Steele, you know, who's written What Hurts the Most and Incredible Songs. Um, Kevin Cronin from Mario Speedwagon, playing with Sarah Evans. Pam Tillis, uh, uh, Simon Kirk from... Um, uh, uh, <laughs> bad company you yeah. name it i mean it's just a real eclectic it's not necessarily country it's not necessarily anything my friend angela hunt who sang who wrote empire state of mind for alicia keys i mean it's really diverse and that's what makes my shows fun this season we shot the first two episodes um in february in new york like usual and then the world shut down and New York has not reopened as far as venues go, so we were able to get permission to finish the, the next five episodes here in Nashville. So mm. we, we shot them in, in June and July. I was scared to death, but I was masked up, and everybody you know, was following protocol. And my guests were people like Keb Moe, Clint Black, um, uh, Ruby Amonfu, um, Tommy Shaw from Styx, Garth Brooks, I mean, it, Jim Brickman. It, it's really a fun thing, and it's going to, to – uh, season two will debut in December. That's amazing. Well, that speaks to your ability and you're just the relationships that you've built over the years. I mean – I, I have a lot of friends from a lot of different places. I, you know, I, I just like people, and I just – wherever I am, I just make, make friends, I guess. So, yeah, it's been really fun to be able to call all my friends and say, hey, I've got this show, you know. Will you come do it for free? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so awesome. Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to tune in and, and, and make sure we, we uh, put all the info Great. in it about, uh, with links in the, in the description. So um, what is it like to be, I want to ch- change gears for a second as, as I do in these conversations. What is it like to be a parent pursuing a career in music? And this is me asking as a parent who's in music. Uh- you know, I hate to um, be talk about gender, and I don't know if this is a gender thing, but I'll just say for me, because I know a lot of my, my female friends are also a lot more tunnel vision than I've ever been. Um, I had children later in life on purpose because I wanted to be selfish with my time and all my pursuits. But once I had them, it was just for me the priority. And I probably could be a lot richer and I probably would have written a lot more hit songs if I didn't just, that's my, that was my priority. They're now just, you know, I have a 19 year old and a 21 year old, but all through their growing up years, this is for me, um, is they came first, you know, I stopped, I wasn't a nighttime writer, you know, I didn't take lunches. Like I wrote through lunchtime if they, you know, during the day, cause a lot of times, Normally in a, in a Nashville writing session, you, you write, then you guys go out to lunch and then you come back. But it was like, no, 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 no. Let's just bring our lunch, order in and keep writing because I have kids to go home to and have dinner with. So my priorities was always family first. And that made everything else really easy, um, even if it meant turning down some very cool opportunities. There was very few times I would ever write on a weekend. I just didn't want to. And, um, I don't feel, I'll never lay on my deathbed and think I should have written more, but I'm sure I would have 
laying on my deathbed and think I should have hung out with my kids more. And I don't ever want to have that feeling. Mm. So for me, a little less money and a little more time. That's kind of how I've always done everything. And yet still, when I had my time, you know, between my, when my kids were in school and I was working, it, it's balls to the wall, straight ahead, don't stop, get everything done. And as a woman, I will say we are very good at multitasking. So, you know, I can talk to the school, I can keep writing, and I can pick up groceries on the way home. It was, you know, a little yeah. bit of a bit. That's awesome. Well, thanks for, <clears throat> thanks for sharing that. And by the way, if that song has not been written yet, less money, a little more time, that might be Cooper Allen's next hit song. <laughs> uh, all three of us. Uh, all three of us, we'll do it. Um, so, but no, 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 I, I, love, I love that you said that. that. That's kind of the road, that, that is the road that I've, I've chosen to take. You know, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I don't do nights. I don't do weekends. Yeah. And, and you many- know what? You will never regret it. You will never regret that. And I never missed a dance. As a writer, it turned out to be better that I did. I mean, I had my record deal and I had was on the road before I had kids. That really was great. So glad I had that experience. But when I decided to, I wanted to you know, finally have kids, I, I thought, well, I'll go back to writing. And this way I can make up my own schedule. So there, I didn't miss a dance recital. I didn't miss a school meeting. You know, those were important things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks like, kids, you know, you might as well raise them personally. Don't you think? Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to have somebody else do it. That's for sure. No. So, um, how do you, how do you manage and, and you know, you, you addressed a little bit of this, but how do you find balance in day-to-day life? I know people in music, it's a little bit hard to sort of separate the two, the work, work-life balance. How have you found that over the years? I think I'm weird, Seth. I think I'm weird because I've always adored the music business and love it. And I'm still a fan, but I never thought it was all of it. I never thought it was everything. And I never thought it was, um, maybe when I was younger, maybe when I was like, I've got to make it. But in the last 20 some odd years, I just know that I am more than just the music business. I have um, tremendous amounts of hobbies, interests, and I'm really good at downtime. So I know a lot of people were like, oh, quarantine, you know, I got to, I got to keep writing or I want to write. Not so much. <laughs> give me your give me your best downtime advice because that's that's something that I've my wife being well, you're not all, you know I just feel like people then then you gotta I mean I I'll say the majority of my friends and maybe it's more male friends I don't know um, really have a hard time with that downtime find it's, some other yeah. hobbies and some other things that need to be done you know and and get into things that you I mean there's so many I have just so many interests even if it's just reading you know. Um, of course, traveling was an interest, but I can't do that right now. Right. Um, and I've started so many new things during quarantine that I've never done before. And, and like, I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to cook. I mean, do you know how to cook? I, that's one thing I actually, I, I'm, I'm decent. I'm not amazing, but I'm decent at it. Well, I mean, I'm not a, a gourmet, but I'm really tasty. And I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do anything other than scramble eggs. And now I've really had the time to really have some fun. I, uh, grew flowers because I just wanted to play in the dirt outside and they and they grew. I was like, who the hell knew I could grow flowers? You know, so I time to fix things in my house. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I never get bored. And honestly, I don't play the piano every day. And when I do a lot of times, I'm going to tell you something. I take out all my books and I play all these cover songs and I just enjoy it. Like I did when I was a kid. Hmm. I, I don't feel like I have to be working all the time. I'm sure I'd be richer. I just don't feel that I have to be working all the time. That's not, that doesn't define who I am. Yeah. 
It's a great perspective. Really, really yeah. helpful. You know, go go get on the floor and play, you know, dress up with your girls. Yeah. You know? I'm definitely doing that this morning. Them. <laughs> you know, build them with something, I don't know, you know, or te- go teach them how to cook. Yeah. You know? yeah. My, you know, my kid's dad used to teach them how to, you know, get on the kitchen. It's just something that takes you out of the, otherwise it really does become the music business. Yeah. I still want to be a fan of it and still enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Well, well said. A um, couple more questions and then we'll jump into our lightning round. What is your favorite part about working in the music industry? We'll start with favorite part and then I want to hear your least favorite part. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this today. I was driving, um, driving and thinking about how many wonderful friends I've made in the business. Because I was actually on my way to do a vocal with Cooper and my friend Chad Carlson's house. And those are two people I absolutely adore. Mm. And I was thinking about how many close and wonderful friends I've made in this business. So I think the best part about it is all these wonderful writing sessions. You and I, we didn't know each other from Adam the first time we wrote, right? Yeah. We met quickly when we were judges at some little uh, talent thing in yeah. the industry. But when we got together, that was pretty magical, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. No, it's been, it's, it's, it's effortless, I would say, every time effortless. we... The three of us just totally gelled, and that was yeah. so much fun. And when I have those kind of experiences, I can't wait to do that again. Um, so I would say the best part are the friends I've made. Another really cool perk is writing with heroes, mm. like who, who become friends, you know, or, or people I'm fans of, you know, uh, biggest bucket list for me was writing with Burt Bacharach. Mm. That was just like, uh, you know, people don't, don't know who Burt Bacharach are. Shame on you. Just Google the man. He's a <laughs> legend. He's an icon. He is, sure. I, I was scared to death, you know, just cause I still, I'm still a fan of so many people, you know, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and then they become friends and that's fun too. I, I mean, Bette Midler was like my idol. She was all over my room growing up and I have since, you know, become a, I don't know, I guess you'd call you a friend, you know, I, yeah. we've yeah. written together. She's come to see my shows. I'd like to call her a friend. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I mean, these, these were people, Olivia Newton-John, you know, all these people who I, I used to be like, oh, they're just lovely, lovely people. So I think those are the best parts of, um, of the business is making friends. That's awesome. What What is your least favorite part about the music industry? Hmm. There's a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of. Can you, can you curse on podcasts? We have we have censoring technologies, so it's I'm up saying, to you. There's just a lot of BS, and there's a lot of wasted time, and there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. To me, that drives me crazy. You know, nobody makes a freaking decision. And I, I mean, perhaps I jump too fast sometimes, but oh my God, the wheel moves slow on these things. You know, that, that's one of the reasons I'm enjoying independent publishing and independent producing, you know, and working with Cooper. And nobody has to, we don't have to have meetings upon meetings of what song is right. Hey, I've written how many hit songs? I have how many trophies? If I don't have the gut instinct of probably what's the right song, I don't need. Uh, an armful, you know, a handful of, uh, an office full of executives telling me, let's just, let's just go with some guts sometimes. I, I, I have a lot of friends who are executives too, but I would just say there's a lot of protocol and a lot of hurry up and wait. And a lot of people in, in certain positions that really don't know as much as I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> or as much as a good musician does. You know, I don't know. Just a lot of BS. But you know what? If I was in the plumbing business, I'm sure I would, you know, there'd be a lot of plumbers and a lot of agencies that was a lot of BS too and a lot of good plumbers. You know, I think in any business, you're going to have a lot of nonsense and a lot of wasted time and money. Yeah. Show me a big business that doesn't have that. You pr- yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find it. So that's... Yeah. I try yeah. not to focus on that, you know? I just try to work around it. Mm. But, but I good. am streamlining the... I just said to somebody the other day, I'm just streamlining working for a-holes and streamline... Not working for, I don't work for, but working with and streamlining the BS out of my life. That's, that's great. You got you to <laughs> do lifestyle design. We, we do have a... No a-hole policy around here. That's totally. That's, you know, uh, there's so many nice people to work with. Why do you have to work with somebody who's not nice? Yeah, yeah. You know, life's too short. To- or life's too long sometimes. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> How you look at it? Yeah. Um, last thing before we jump in the lightning round, what advice would you give someone with big dreams of making it in the music industry? Um, a lot of people I find who uh the people that ask the most questions and the most advice are the people that do it the least. I think it's a time waster. That doesn't mean you shouldn't ask for advice or ask for stuff. But when people say, you know, how do I start? My answer, and they hated me for it, is you just start. Like I didn't have a roadmap. I had no clue what I was doing. And everybody's map is different. But you have to just keep walking forward, keep networking, keep um, keeping your ears open in case you know, you're a songwriter and four people tell you, I didn't really quite understand the hook line on that chorus. You can't just go, well, <laughs> you're an idiot. You have to stop and re- and think, hmm, maybe I didn't nail it right. Like, you know, use criticism positively. If you get one thing, okay, you can brush it off to they don't understand. If you get m- multiple comments are the same, start to change what you do. And also, I thought I was going to be a recording artist this whole time. Had I closed the door to songwriting or thought, no, I don't want to do that, my whole life would have been different. So if you keep walking forward and that door keeps opening, but you keep insisting upon going to the door that's locked, I don't understand that. And I know so many people who do. Just walk forward and I promise you, doors will open. The right door will open. It might not be the thing you thought was going to happen, but the, you know. But had I, I love this business so much. Had I not made it as a recording artist, had I not made it as a as a songwriter. I would have been a publicist. I would have been a manager. I would have been an executive. I wanted to be in this game. Yeah. I loved it. I still do. Well, and, that, and that's what it takes. Such, such great advice. So um, with that, are you ready for the lightning round? I am. All right, here we go. If, you're on a de- if you were on a deserted island, what is one non-survival related item you'd want to bring? You know, the first thing that came into my head this is a really strange thing, but I, I, I always say this album called Blue by Joni Mitchell. It's like the staple that's in my car for t- 30 years. I might bring Blue by Joni Mitchell. I don't know. All okay. right. I'm assuming I have food, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Non-survival. Yeah, yeah. Who inspires you? Um, right now, my kids inspire me. They're amazing. My, my, I'm not, and I'm not joking. Like they inspire me. They are so hardworking and so positive and so, I mean, and, and pivot on a dime. You know, my, my 19 year old is back here after going to acting school in New York and it got closed down for a while. So now she's here and she's nannying and she's making great money and she's 
her attitude's good, you know, her, her, her spirits are good. My other daughter, who's 21, in the middle of a pandemic, who's, she's an actress and a singer, all of a sudden, that's not happening. She's now producing people's TV sh- uh, streamline, stream shows. She's a producer making unbelievable money because she pivoted, as she says, and she just started, it started to snowball. She produced one show, somebody else saw it, a Broadway art, you know, she's, all these Broadway stars are knowing my daughter because she's working with them and working with the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation, all these amazing things because they don't say no to anything. You know, I guess they've seen, they've seen me go for things and they go for things. So I would say my kids are my biggest inspiration right now. Well said. What is your favorite meal? Lobster. Lobster at the palm with a side of the half and half potatoes and onions. That's an easy, easy question. And that's, I haven't gone to any restaurants during COVID. And that's the only thing I find myself craving is a lobster at the palm. <laughs> Make, making me hungry. Yeah, me too. What's your favorite grocery store? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, I like, uh, I do like Whole Foods, but I don't go there that often, you know, just because, uh, it's crazy expensive when you can go to, you know, oh, Aldi. I think Aldi is my favorite grocery store. I actually go there a lot. And they have this one aisle that that's so weird because it's a grocery store, but they have this one aisle that has these one-offs. So, like, you can be all of a sudden get uh, uh, anything. You can get a, a hose. You can get a shovel. You can get uh, socks. I love that. I go there all the time to see what they have doing on that special aisle. So Like Aldi. a grab bag. It's a surprise. <laughs> Uh, lastly, what's a song you wish you wrote? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. That's a really hard, hard question. But I would say anything Billy Joel, Burt Bacharach, or Gary Burr wrote. Mm. That's anything awesome. I wish I wrote. Oh, Paul Williams. I wish I wrote them all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, this has been a absolute blast, Victoria. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your expertise your years of wisdom in this well, really appreciate you being on our show I didn't ramble too much <laughs> no so good so good i, I got to go back and listen and take notes so okay. we are going to be doing our deep dive i know that you are passionate about working with the cystic fibrosis charity so we're going to be doing our deep dive if people are interested in hearing about the, the work you're doing with the cystic fibrosis foundation that's a tongue twister, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Then they can go to madeitinmusic.com and go to the deep dives and check that out. But once again, thank you so much. Where can people connect with you? Um, probably Instagram, you know, uh, which is Victoria Shaw Music, or you can go to my website, Victoria Shaw Music. You know, it makes it easy. Or maybe it's victoriashaw.com. I, I think that's what it is. Um, I would love that. And also, if you want to watch the show on your phone, on your Roku, on your Apple, just go to All Arts and download the app all arts and then put my name in there and you'll see all all the episodes very very cool thank you so much victoria thank you this was a blast Seth.